Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hey, this is Bryant Arnold, also known as Dragon from Skinwalker Ranch, and you're listening to that UFO podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to That UFO Podcast. As always, my name is Andy, and this is episode 12, where you'll be hearing Calvin Parker retell one of the most famous abduction stories in UFO history. Episode 11 with Buddy from Alien Protocols. Got some amazing feedback, folks, and I look forward to speaking to Buddy again in the future and hearing some more remote viewers on the podcast as well. This week's Skinwalker Watch Along episode 7 will be dropping with myself and Dan, the penultimate episode. Next week, my guest on the show is none other than Dragon, a.k.a. Brian Arnold from Skinwalker Ranch, the head of security. And Dragon will be talking about life on the ranch before the cameras, his lifelong friendship with Brandon Fugel, who now owns the ranch, of course, season one goings on, and a bit of a preview for season two as well. That is an interview definitely not to be missed. You will hear a whole different side of Dragon that you don't necessarily see come across when the cameras are rolling, so definitely not to be missed, folks. New show, TUP Talks, with myself and Dan discussing the main talking points from episode 1 and 2 of Unidentified, will be up sometime this week, folks. That'll go on patreon.com as an exclusive, early access for Patreons, and then drop into the main feeds as well. I've had a ton of stories, thoughts, and questions sent over from you, the listeners, Please keep them coming on the Twitter feed at UFO UAPAM. If you're not on Twitter and you do follow the show, then email me. It's UFO UAPAM at gmail.com. And of course, you can message on the Facebook, That UFO Podcast, or That UFO Podcast on Instagram as well. But do consider pledging to the show to keep an eye on future bonus content and just keep the show coming out as regular as possible and in the best quality possible too. But as always, your listens are the most important thing. But if you do want to pledge, it's patreon.com forward slash That UFO Podcast. It's all appreciated, folks. But without further ado, I'm going to play a short message from a friend of the show. It's all about Shadows of Your Mind magazine, a free magazine that you should be downloading and reading. Almost 60 pages of very high quality content with some of the biggest names in UFOs, ufology and more. You also might see a little bit in there this month with myself. I've got a very small piece in there that Dave from Shadows of Your Mind magazine was really kind to include me. And I'm also listed with some other great shows as well for you to find out about. So again, folks, I'll play that short message. And when I come back, you'll be hearing from Calvin Parker. Have you ever looked up to the skies and seen something you can't explain? Or walked deep in the forest and sensed something watching you? Do you believe in an afterlife? or a hidden veil that can communicate with the living, then you need Shadows of Your Mind magazine. Download all issues completely free at shadowsmagazine.co.uk. Shadows of Your Mind, where your search for the answers begins. Hi everyone, coming back from that message. There are a few names that you think of when you hear UFOs and abductions. Some of the most famous cases throughout history you would say would be the Betty and Barney Hill case, Travis Walton, and I would say the third name up there on that list would be Calvin Parker, 
and Calvin Parker I have on the line with me just now. Calvin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Beautiful day here in Mississippi and just kind of kick back and relaxing on a Sunday. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, sir, for giving us some of your time. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure following your story over the last couple of years. I've heard you in a few different interviews um, in the UK on Howard Hughes, and I've watched your documentary, which is available on Amazon. That's uh, Alien Contact, the Pascagoula UFO Encounter. And of course, you've got the the book more recently released as well. So um, it's been a fascinating story to keep tabs on and one that we're coming up on the 50th anniversary pretty soon. But the story still is relevant so, so much today with, with what's going on. So, Calvin, just before I start asking you about the story and letting you retell it in your words that so many people want to hear, what was your interest, if you had any at all, in UFOs before the incident? There wasn't any interest. I didn't know what a UFO was. Uh, in the 70s, this was not a real popular subject. Everybody kind of shunned anybody that would mention a UFO or something. Of course, we did have Project Blue Book, and, uh, you know, I did get to meet Dr. Heineck before he passed away. And that, that was a great honor and privilege there because he's one of the ones that made me feel kind of at home with this. But I still didn't talk about it for 45 years, and that's when the book came out. Yeah, and for me, that's one of the real interests of your story. It's not something that, as we're going to find out, there was also um, Charlie Hickson, Charles Hickson, was involved in the incident with you. And he yes. did talk about it much quicker, and he was much more open to discussing it. And throughout his life, this played a big part of his life. But it's something that you shunned away from. But before we get to that, Calvin, in your own words, would you like to tell the listeners your story of what happened on the evening of October 11th, 1973? I sure would. Of course, I was working in the oil field, uh, just say a day or two before then, and fixed to get married in November, and this happened in October. So I was hunting a different job, something that wasn't so many hours, and I was home, because back then the oil field was seven days a week. And I just wanted to find a job uh, where I could work and have a normal life. So I called up an old friend of mine, Charles Hickson, and he said, look, I'm over at this shipyard, the F.B. Walker and Son shipyard, and you're welcome to come down here and go to work. So October the 11th, <clears throat> the very day, and I've always said, well, I got hired, fired, and the physical all in the same day. I went down and went to work for Charlie. We was getting off work, and uh Charlie said, well, do, would you like to go fishing? I said, well, sure, you know, because I've known Charlie for a long time. He wasn't really a friend. He was my father's friend, but I know him a long time because we all used to hang around and camp and fish together, me and his children. So um, <clears throat> I went down. We went to work that morning. He decided they wanted to go fishing and invited me to go. I said, well, Charlie, you know, I don't have no fishing equipment with me. He said, I've got plenty of equipment. Now, for a man from the South to offer you fishing equipment, that's a real honor because he just soon gave you his wife and kids as he had his fishing equipment up. So uh, we got off work. We went by his house, picked up the equipment, and he knew of an old uh, shipyard that was abandoned, F.B. Walk, I mean, Shaw Peter Shipyard, and it was abandoned. He said, well, let's go over here and start and try it. Well, in October, you know, it starts getting dark kind of early. So we went over there, and it was a good full moon. The first thing I noticed was trespassing signs on the pier. So I said, Charlie, you know, it's no trespassing signs all, all the way around here. All of a sudden, don't pay attention to that. Well, right then, I didn't feel real good about it, and I shouldn't have went. But we walked on down to the pier. It took about 15 minutes to get there after we went through the debris and all. Pulled up an old log, was sitting on the pier fishing. And I remember looking out across the river. We was fishing the East Pascagoula River. And there was no big, uh, it was a Coast Guard cutter or maybe a NOAA ship or something 
sitting on the other side. And I remember looking at that, thinking to myself, now how can this much steel float? But uh, that that's, uh, for some reason, that's what was on my mind. And that's when I noticed some hazy blue lights coming from behind me. They uh, looked like they was coming from behind me and reflect, reflecting off the water in the front. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's the law, and they come down here to run us off because that's what the law had on their patrol cars is in blue lights. Mm-hmm. So Charlie and I stood up and turned around about the same time. And about the time we got turned around and was looking behind us, there was a bright, bright light that just covered us. I mean, just encircled us in there. Well, it was kind of blinding there for a minute. You know, I didn't, couldn't really see what was going on. But again, I was thinking it could be the law shining the spotlight on us. Well, it wasn't very long. I seen three bulky looking creatures, you know, just a figure silhouette of them coming through that light. And I was thinking where they was coming from. That's not the law. You know, we got something else fixing to happen here. And uh, two of them went over to Charlie, grabbed him. Then one of them come and grabbed me by my left arm. And that's when I felt an injection going in of some kind, or it was an injection, and later on it got verified, and I kind of got into that in my second book here. But uh, anyhow, he grabbed me by the arm, and it was still hard to make out what this thing looked like. I've always called him the big, ugly one. But he moved like a robot, and they took us to the door. I guess I was in front of Charlie because I didn't see him till I got back out on the water again or the pier. Can I just ask a question, Calvin? Sure. At, at this point, and that this creature, this entity has grabbed you by the arm. Were you frozen or paralyzed or was it just a fear that had come over you that you didn't want to struggle or run away? Well, when he got me, I wanted to run away. I looked to the left, and it was water, and to the right, and of course, water in the front. There was a lot of debris in it, and it wasn't nowhere to run. But then when he grabbed me by the arm, and I felt this injection, I didn't really care if I got away or not. I was just there. The only thing I could move was my roll my head a little bit and roll my eyes. But as far as moving my body, I couldn't move it right then. So this thing carried me to the door of the craft. When I got to the door, I called myself looking to see where these lights was coming from. But they was illuminating now the paint. You know, it wasn't no big light bulbs or spotlights or nothing. Looked like they was coming out of the paint. So when this big ugly thing carried me in, you know, then the lights was normal. It was just lighting inside the craft. And we made a left turn. Went down a hallway for a little bit, and then we made a right turn, and it a big what I call an examination room, and there was a uh, looked like a glass table in there. I could see that a real nice looking table, and he carried me over and he laid me on this table on my back, my head up facing the ceiling, and. Uh, he just laid me down there, and I still couldn't move, and he backed off into a corner and just shut down. And that's why I think it was more or less like a robot taking orders from these other creatures on board here. And that, that's something so, I've heard you say several times in the story, that you had a feeling, an inkling that these creatures were potentially more robotic just in the way they moved, the way they acted. And as you say, the terminology that they were almost shutting down for a time as well. Oh yeah. Were there any other features? You know, you've 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 went down this hallway and you mentioned you're in the craft and the lighting seems normal. Is there any features you can pick out? Anything like a window or got a, you know, not pictures hanging on the wall, but any types of hieroglyphs or anything like that? Not that I could say when I was going in there except for the glass table. And at this time, I didn't see nobody else but the big, ugly one. And he went off in a corner. But when he laid me on the back, I was looking up at the ceiling, and something 
about the size of a deck of cards that was kind of bluish on bottom come down within a foot and a half of my head and it started clicking it it would get right in front of me it clicked then it moved to the side click behind me and click and over to the other side and click then it got in front of me and just shot right back up into the ceiling and that deal was gone now what that was for i don't have no idea unless it was taking like x-rays or something like that i don't know what was going through your mind sorry at that point <clears throat> because this has all happened within now what a few minutes yeah just what just, are you thinking uh, be honest i still didn't have time to think i just uh was kind of still numb from the shot i guess but i did start thinking a little bit here just a little bit this uh that's when i sensed the presence in the room and I don't know why, but I just sensed that somebody else was in there. So I rolled my head and got my eyes. And out came a uh, female-looking creature. And I call her a female. I don't know if she was or not. I have no clue. But she come toward me. And she looked just like a uh, little redneck girl from my part of the camp. You know, county, I mean, if I'd been a drinking man and out drinking in a bar, I would have probably asked her on a date. That's how real she looked. But the only difference I could tell was her fingers. Her two middle fingers was a little longer. So she come in and she reached up and she grabbed me by the cheek and just kind of felt my skin, kind of like your grandmother would. And uh, I still wasn't too frightened. Then she took one of her hands put on my chin and pushed it down. She took his fingers off that other hand and run down my throat and try to curve it up and come up my nasal cavity. That's when I panicked. I couldn't breathe. Uh, I was choking. I started bleeding. So I was panicked. And all of a sudden, she pulled her hand out of my mouth and uh, telepathically communicate, you know, we're not going to hurt you. And I thought were, but then I thought about the other one. But it was too late. I mean, the damage was done. I mean, my throat was scratched up. She'd already uh, run her fingers down my throat. And she backed off and said, we're not going to hurt you. Well, the pain was real bad then. She made a mumbling noise. Now, I don't know if y'all have alligators in y'all's part of the country or not, but these alligators have a mating call, and it's a vibration, and it goes for miles across the swamp. And that's kind of like the mumbling that she did. And this big, ugly one that was over in the corner, he just jumped up like a jack-in-the-box. He'd come over and grab me by the arm, and that's when I felt another injection go into my arm. And I'll get into later on why we found out it was injections. And um, this other injection, and it just settled me down a little bit. Well, she just kind of backed up out of the way. And he picked me up and he carried me back out to almost where they picked us up, set me on the ground. And that's the first time I heard from Charlie. You know, I had lost contact with him. He said, son, son, you okay? And I thought, well, heck, no, I'm not okay, you know. Just been through something, kind of, some kind of trauma in here. I mean, we're on some bad drugs or some good whiskey. So, <laughs> But I didn't do either one back in or don't now. So anyhow, me and Charlie turned around at the same time and looked, and this thing picked up off the ground just a little bit, shot straight up into the sky and disappeared. Well, Charlie said, well, let's sit down here. The damage is done. Let's sit down here and talk about this for a minute. And he said, you know, we need to uh, tell somebody. I said, Charlie, we don't need to tell nobody nothing, period. We just need to keep this to ourselves." And not mention that nobody get up in the morning and go to work. He said, no, we got to tell somebody. I says, no, we're not going to tell nobody. 
So we sat there and talked, and then we went back to the car. Well, when we got to the car, I, I opened my door up, and I noticed his window was shattered in place, and when he opened it, it fell out. The car was kind of magnetic. You know, my keys was kind of sticking to it. So we got in the car, and it took me a while to get it to crank, but I cranked on it and cranked on it and cranked on it, and I noticed the battery never ran down. So uh, we finally got it going, and it wasn't running real good, backed out. We started in toward his house, and there was a, a convenience store. And he said, son, pull over here. I need to make a phone call. Well, I thought he was going to call his wife. You know, back in the 70s, there weren't no cell phones. If it was, you couldn't afford one. There wasn't no social media. They had old pay phones. So he pulled up to this pay phone. We had to hunt change, some nickels to put in it, in between the car seats. He put it in, and I heard him talking, but I wasn't paying attention to what he was saying. But he was talking to a Keesler Air Force Base at the time. And they told him that they didn't handle UFOs or nothing at the present moment to, uh, they had abandoned that project blue book and all for him to call the local authorities, which would be the Jackson County Sheriff department. So he came back to the car. He said, I need some more change. And he looked in there and I still didn't realize what he was doing. And he called the Jackson County Sheriff department. Well, like them doing their job, you know, they said, y'all stay there because they didn't know what kind of condition or shape or what we was doing. Y'all stay right there. We'll be there in a few minutes. He came back and uh, told me what they had said. And I said, why in the world did you call them, Charlie? We wasn't going to tell nobody. But I didn't leave because I didn't want to break the law after them telling us to stay there. I figured they'd pick us up and it would be that much worse. So we stayed there, and of course, it was on my side uh, of the car because I was driving. They come up, and it was two officers. They just kind of turned around and looked in the car and uh, asked me for my driver's license. I pulled them out, showed it to them. They asked me to step out of the car. Now, they was doing this all to me, and Charlie's the one that called them. They said, have you been drinking? I said, no, sir, I hadn't. He said, well, look, walk his line right here. Come back, stand on your left foot, I think. Tilt your head back, touch your nose, and jump up and down and count from 100 backwards. I said, man, I can't do that sober, much less if I'd been drinking. I said, but I'm going to try it. So I did. And what that was was a field sobriety test that he was giving us. He said, well, you look sober enough to drive. I said, well, hell I am. I hadn't drank nothing. I can drive. So he said, well, follow us to the sheriff's department. So we got into the uh, car and we followed them to the Jackson County Sheriff's department. And that's when they put us in separate rooms and interrogated us. And then they, uh, after the interrogation, they put us into one room and this is where what they call the secret tape come in. They listened to us talking and they noticed, you know, there was a little fear in there. And I didn't realize, and Charlie didn't realize there was a tape recorder in the room. And just about a month ago, I got the whole deal taped uh, where they interrogated us separately, where they interrogated us in the same room. So, Anyhow, I didn't realize all these tapes was floating around out there until about a month ago. They, uh, after they put us in the room, the Sheriff Fred Diamond come in. He said, uh, look, I believe something happened to y'all. I want to see y'all in the morning. Why don't y'all go home and get some dressed? And uh, I'll see y'all tomorrow. Well, I didn't think no more about it. We went home, got some rest, and I knew I wasn't going back to the sheriff's department voluntarily. 
So we got up the next morning, drove into work. We stopped and ate a little breakfast on the way. Now, this was just my second day at work, and I didn't know how many cars were supposed to be there or not. But when we got there, the place was flooded, and it also had uh, these uplink TV trucks, news trucks, you know. And I figured that was just maybe a commercial or something they was doing. I never related it back to us. We brassed in, went to our workstations, got a call over the intercom for us to uh, come to the main office. I thought, oh, gosh. Here we go, Charlie's big mouth. You know, he opened it up. Well, right then, I quit speaking to him very much. We went to the office, and, of course, they said, y'all going to have to give a press release. I said, why? Press release for what? I was still denying that this happened. And to him, that they said, y'all got to do it. We cannot conduct business here anymore. The media's driving us crazy. They got TV crews here. We have a shipyard attorney. His name is Joe Comingo. Joe Comingo. That's a tongue tire. Joe Clamingo. And uh, we're going to have him come work up a press release. So Charlie got with Joe, and they worked up a press release. And they turned loose of a press release. Well, about that time, the sheriff came in, Fred Diamond. And I had expressed some concerns uh, to him that we might be contaminated or ne might have radiation or have some kind of virus or something. Because I had watched the Apollo missions, and I knew when they came back, they quarantined them from their families and all for seven days. And that's what I was thinking. So the sheriff come up. He said, I need to get you all to the hospital and get you checked out. He drove us to uh Singing River Hospital in Jackson County, past Pagula. They, uh, Dr. Bosco, I won't never forget the man's name. He uh, checked us out, did blood work. He did a whole line of work there. And he asked, uh, he, he examined our arm and come to find out that was a shot that they gave. Now, I never asked him what it was that was in that shot because I got the heck out of there later on. But it was definitely a shot of some kind of sedative or something, I guess. Well, when we left there, the sheriff said, well, we need to take y'all to uh, Kiesler Air Force Base. They called. They want to check y'all for radiation. Well, I thought that was really weird, too. So... He drove us 30 miles to Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi. They flagged us right through the gate, had MPs escort us back to the docks. And when we got out, they told everybody else to step away. They had men in hazmat suits with something in their hand, got us and checked us for radiation. Of course, I was showing up a little bit, but not enough to be way above normal. And Charlie didn't check when, you know, he didn't have none. They got through and they said, all clear. They said, now they want to see y'all in the uh, conference room. Walk straight down this hall. It's all the way to the end. I guess that was the longest walk I've ever made in my life. It had to be three or four football links back there. And I was scared then because, uh, I had time to think of everything, and I was kind of getting panicked. So we got back, and sh sure enough, there was uh, Air Force officials, some uh, Navy officials. Then it was uh, all of our local mayors and three local mayors, three local police chiefs, and they kind of – wanted us to tell the story, but I more or less just kind of clammed up and still trying to deny that anything happened. Of course, Charlie, he jumped on the bandwagon. That was his five minutes to fame, so he wanted to tell them everything. And can I just then ask, I got, Calvin? Sorry. And uh, what, what, what did Charlie tell them? He told them more or less everything that had happened to us. And, and was about the... Was his experience 
at that point the exact same as yours? Uh, no. No, it was a little bit different. Uh, the big ugly one, except he had two big ugly ones. And then they took him aboard and examined him. And he mentioned something about a big eye. Now, I don't know if he was talking about the eye of a TV camera or something that had examined him, where I had something kind of sort of like a deck of cards. But, you know, I've never really heard his interviews, so I, I really can't tell you. Charlie had written a book shortly after that, and uh, I never read the book. Matter of fact, my publisher, Philip Mantle, sent me a copy of his book, and I still had not picked it up and read it yet because uh, I'm still a little upset at him, even though he's dead, for um, breaking the news like that. Because if he hadn't run his mouth, then there wouldn't be no books, no story, and I'd have an average life like I kind of wanted it. So when they got through with us, they said, well, y'all can go, uh, y'all go. So the sheriff and the deputy that was with us, we all went back to the car, got in the car. And uh, the sheriff said, you got one more stop to make it. Somebody want to see you when you get there. Well, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't know who Dr. Heinick was or Dr. Harder. But when we got back to the shipyard, Dr. Heinick was there, which was over Plodget Rubble. And he, he sat down and, uh, Charlie went back with Harder and he gave him an examination. I went in there with Heineck first. And Dr. Heineck, for some reason, had a common effect on me, made me feel like I could talk to somebody about this. And for some reason, I opened up with Dr. Heineck back in and stayed in touch with him up until he died. And now I'm still really good friends with his son, Paul Heineck. Matter of fact, we was just on the phone yesterday talking. But um, I spilled the beans of Dr. Heineck. He said, if you would run back by here tomorrow, I'm going to run out to where this happened. And uh, before you leave, because I told him, you know, I'm leaving, going back home to heck with all this. So uh, we went home got a good night's sleep well really didn't sleep but you know was in her own beds and uh got up and went to work the next day i sat there and visited heineck and he was upset about uh the sheriff department or nobody blocking off the scene where it was a crime and it was a crime out there so uh i told him look i'm leaving well he gave me his phone number before I left, he said, anytime you need to talk or if you think of something else or you just want to talk and it don't matter what it's about, call me. So I went out, got in my car, I already had my bags. I pointed it for Laurel, Mississippi, which was 107 miles from there. And I went home because I hadn't seen my family or told them about it yet. But I had no intentions of telling my family about it. And I didn't until 46 years later when we wrote the book. And since the one book come out a year ago, I, there's been another book come out that we wrote because it was so much enthusiasm. And uh, the first book, Past Pagula, The Closest Encounter, my story, Calvin Parker, there were so many witnesses and all come forward that uh, had to do another book. And we just you know, instead of putting it in the first book and pulling it out, because that wouldn't be fair to the people that had already bought it. There's another book that's just as big as that. And it's, um, the story continues, new witnesses, new evidence. But anyhow, I left and got home to my family. They never asked me about it. I never mentioned it. Uh, I was engaged to get married in November. I stayed home, got a job. November uh, 9th, we got married, me and my wife. And I have to say, you know, it's been, it hadn't been an easy road. 
uh, with this because the news media wouldn't leave me alone. When they did say something, they wouldn't tell me the truth about it or tell the truth about it. And matter of fact, that's how the book come up because of the lying ass news media. But up until uh, 2018, when the first book came out, I never talked about this to anybody, not my friends, not my family, not my wife. And somebody said, well, how can you keep it from your wife for 46 years? Well, it was easy. You just don't talk about it. And she knows me good enough that I wasn't going to talk about it. And what brought all this on, we had a neighbor that passed away in the neighborhood, and he was a friend. So we went to his wake at the funeral home, and uh, I signed a register with my real name that day. And that was, well, I can't say it was a mistake because it's probably one of the better things that's happened to me. Well, people started coming up and asked me all these questions. They recognized the name. So, you know, told them, you know, we can't talk about this here. This man's wife grieving, her daughter's grieving, and I'm not going to do a damn photo shoot up here in a funeral home. So we left, and on the way home, my wife said, well, look, you've never talked to me about this You never told me about it or anything or nobody else. They just want to know how you are. They care about you and what's going on in your life and all. Well, by that time I had retired and uh, she said, why don't you write a book? I said, well, I'll think about it, which I wasn't going to do it because I didn't have the education to write a book. I don't, you know, I don't know. I couldn't spell my own name, much less punctuate it. And I said, well, let me think about it. Well, it happened the next day. Uh, Martin Willis that does a little podcast called, he said, there's a guy that's been wanting to get a hold of you. Can I give him your contact information? He said, he just won't give up. I said, sure, Martin. I'll talk to him just to get him off you. And, uh, it was Philip Mantle, and he called me on my phone, introduced himself. Of course, I answered the phone when he called. I seen it was from overseas somewhere, and he said, we talked for a little bit. He said, Calvin, why don't you do your own book? So I told him, you know, I don't have the education to do my book. He said, well, I'm here for you <clears throat> if you need me, if you need some help. I said, Philip, the reason I hadn't is because everybody changes everything that I say. I can tell them one story, and they go make another complete story out of that one. He said, well, think about it. He said, now, here's the deal. That could be your legacy, and they can't change black and white what you say. And I got to thinking it made a lot of sense. Now, he didn't even call me about it writing a book. He just wanted to talk to me about one that Charlie had and which one I've never read. So I couldn't really tell him nothing about it. He said, well, I'll call you back in a week. I said, all right. Well, right then when he hung up, I got that phone number that he called from. I put no answer on the number. So I didn't have intentions of talking to him again, but he's pretty persistent. I was down at the boat loading my boat up on the trailer, and the phone kept ringing, it kept ringing, it kept ringing. And I finally just answered it without looking, and it was Philip. I didn't want to be rude and hang up on the guy. So we talked for a few minutes, and I told him, I said, look, Philip, here's the deal. We can do a book. I've never done one. I don't have any education. But number one, I know it's going to be some misspelled words because I can't spell my name. I know the sentences ain't going to be punctuated because I never did good in literature. Uh, said, so uh, I don't want it edited, period. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure about this, Philip. said, so if you don't edit the book, we'll do it. Well, uh, 
I went home, told my wife, well, you go get your damn book and you're going to hear your story. Still, I hadn't never told her the story and she was all excited about this book. So Philip and I, we communicated on the computer. If I had a question, he sent me a format to go by. And if I had a question, you know, all I had to do was ask him and he would help out. But he's always been good to his word. He's never edited but one thing in this book. And I was talking about eating a fried bologna sandwich, and he called it a fried blondie sandwich. Now, I don't know the difference there, but that was the only word he changed, and it's kind of funny. But uh, I did the book, and I figured, you know, maybe this thing might sell 10 copies, and I'd buy all 10 of them, hand out to my family my friends, and um, <clears throat> that's what I did. And that, that's where my wife first heard about what was going on with me and my family and my friends. And, and what was her reaction? She was shocked and still is. The other day, she uh, listened to them tapes that I made at the sheriff's department. And I walked back there, and she just broke down and started crying. But, you know, it's nothing unusual for her to hear something different. And she starts crying about it. She said, I didn't know you'd been going through this for all these years. I said, well, really, I tried to block it out of my mind. But people would more or less wouldn't let me block it out. It cost me. My original goal in life was to buy a house, get married, buy a house, have children, have grandchildren, retire and fish. And, you know, that's messed the whole thing up. So, well, you know, I ended up buying a house and fishing, but that's about it. I had children, but, you know, I don't never talk to them about it. I give them a copy of the book like I did my wife. If you want to read it, read it. If you don't, don't. If you don't believe me, that's fine. I don't care. And did they have any questions about the incident? Have Have they read it? Have they followed it up? Yeah, they've read it. And uh, my daughter didn't have a whole lot of questions, but her uh, husband and uh, father-in-law had a few. And, you know, every now and then they call and ask a few questions. But, uh, and it's nothing, nothing really serious questions that they ask, but just, they just want to know something, clarify something. Like, uh, <clears throat> we got two hypnosis. We got the Bud Hopkins hypnosis in one book, Kathleen Martin in the other book. You know, she wasn't in the first book. But she was really professional and did a great job. That was a three-hour session. And, uh, you know, she went about it different. She didn't put no leading questions in there. She would just ask me, and then what, you know, or something like that. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things cleared up since the first book that I didn't even realize and Philip and I has talked, and we never know what comes up from day to day. It's always something coming up and that we have to deal with or want to deal with sometime. But it's been a good good haul for me. It brought my wife and I a lot closer. I know last year, of course, we hadn't this year because of this virus, but we made a lot of conferences last year, met a lot of great people and got to talk to a lot of people. And uh, that, that's been nice. Well, I got to meet Kathleen at the conference before she flew down here to hypnotize me. Got to meet uh, Paul Heineck at a conference. Uh, I've been talking to him all this time, but I never got a chance to meet him. And he is really such a pleasant person to be around. I like Paul a lot. and. Uh, He's intelligent. He's smart. Of course, I wouldn't tell him that. I tell him, you know, oh, us old dumbass rednecks a lot smarter than you are. <laughs> but, 
but it, it, it's been a good go. It's brought us closer. Alvin, listen, so listening to that story, I wanted to try and let you talk as much as possible because it's, it is your story and it is genuinely one of the most fascinating in the UFO topic. What I've got, though, is some questions to go back, just going through um, for you. The first thing I want to talk about, so obviously Charlie Hickson played a big part in this, and as you've stated previously and on this this interview, um, you can you just stopped talking to Charlie after the, the incident, you know, and he went his way and told his story, and he'd done various interviews in the media. He released books, and like you say, you really had 45 years where this was locked away. You didn't want to discuss it. You didn't want it to be part of your life. You wanted to get on with things. He's said in the past that you were passed out for most of the incident, when, of course, that's that's not been the case. What sort of happened there? Was it a bit of a miscommunication, or do you think he was trying to just not involve you in the story as much? Well, Charlie and I sat down and agreed that I wasn't going to talk about this to start with. So in in this matter right here, uh, we had talked about, you know, maybe I'd passed out or something like that. And he just took that and run with it, which I'm glad he did. And a lot of people questioned my credibility on this. But like I said before, I don't care they question it or not. This is what happened. I wouldn't have put it in black and white if it hadn't been the truth. Calvin, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I absolutely do believe your story. Um, let's say it's a story, this is an event, this is something that happened that's very profound and hard for a lot of people to believe. But in, in this subject and topic in general, there's I don't think there's any stories that are easy to believe, really, even with the evidence and the, the weight of testimony we've got now. Oh, yeah. Um, but you, you definitely come across like a really credible and honest person. And like you say, if people want to believe you, great. If they don't, and that, that's also fine. That's, that's nothing that you particularly yeah. care about. You know, I once told somebody that uh, I don't want everybody to believe everything that I say or anything that I say. I like for people to have their own minds to think for themselves and to be able to put all this into one little box for them. Uh, I know on my part, I know for a fact what happened is what I said. And I know something else. The reason I made all these conferences was to uh, look for answers with other people and all. And that's always been why. And people handle things different. And I really hate that I didn't communicate more with Charlie. I mean, we had some communication, but it wasn't all real good. And, and I hate that. He died maybe some secrets in his head that I needed to know. But and that's something you can't you can't go back now, but what you're doing no. going forward obviously is bringing out your story, letting people meet you and not only are you getting answers, but people meeting you that might be helping them that have maybe had similar experiences as well. I believe you met Travis Walton, was it last year at one of the conferences? Yeah, I met him at the uh, in Arizona uh UFO Congress. And we got to spend some time together. And I kind of enjoyed this time. But he's like me. Even though he come out with a lot of publicity with this movie and all, he's still kind of withdrawn and don't like talking about it that much. What, but, what did you discuss? Not to go into too much private conversation, but did you both discuss your own incidents and any similarities that may have been there? No, we mostly discussed the news media. And uh, we had a talk about people in general, how people accepted each one of us in general. And that's pretty much lined it up. You're a very religious man. That's something that you, that comes across in, uh, in a lot of your interviews, and you've never hidden that. Does this incident or event conflict at all with that religious part of your life or or your family when you were younger? And is that maybe one of the reasons you kept this hidden? Yeah, because I just didn't want to talk about it back in. It was uh, uh, just say kind of like a rape victim. You know, they get that. And they, a lot of them don't want to talk. They don't want to be put out there. And that's kind of what I felt like. You know, I didn't want to 
just throw this out there and people to start doubting me and doubt my family. I don't care they doubt me, but I didn't want to put my family in the middle of all this, although I did for years. And now we way deep in it. So as you were growing up, like you said, that this is something that you, you kept hidden away and Charlie went his route with it, doing the interviews, the, the TV, magazines, that sort of thing. Was there ever any other incidents in your life? Did you ever see anything in the sky? Ever get any feelings that something was watching you still or keeping tabs on you? Anything at all? Well, I, I had a feeling for a long time that, uh, you know, maybe something was keeping tabs. But, you know, when you get paranoid about something or think something, and you can convince yourself into believing things that might not be. And then I listen to other people's stories, and they talk about having uh, something to track on them and stuff like that. Well, I really do think for a while that they had implants in me. And the reason I say that, because after this happened, my nose bled quite regular for a long time. I mean, it's all stopped now, but... Uh, I think they did have something in my nose. That was actually, that was one of the questions one of the listeners, Stephen, had asked, um, were you ever checked over for implants? Was it something you ever got checked officially? Not really, but I tell you, I had a bunch of MRIs. I had two open heart surgeries and a stroke, and they've done MRIs all the time since then. They hadn't found nothing yet, and I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's good to know. You don't want necessarily yeah. something found. Might be good for the story for other people, but you're you're still a person that's got a you know got to live their life. Can I just ask you? You mentioned before about the tapes that you've just found last month. What's your plan with those uh, tapes? Beg your pardon. Do you have any plans for those tapes to release them? Uh yeah, that they own. Let's see, there's a guy, uh, Brian Broom, did a whole article on them tapes. And uh, matter of fact, he put them on my Facebook page. I don't even know where they are. They're somewhere on my Facebook page, and it's the whole tapes. So I've not actually heard those. That's that's good. I'll put the link to those within the, within the interview. Do you ever think there was a reason that you were picked and Charlie were picked or chosen or abducted? Or do you think it was just you were in the, the wrong place at the right time or vice versa? Well, that's something I've often asked myself. And maybe I was just at the wrong place at the right time. Uh, it's hard to say. I know at the time there was no one else had come forward. But like you say in the documentary and the, the follow-up book, there were witnesses, weren't there, that actually saw the craft or the ship back plenty of witnesses. that came forward, yep. Yes, sir, it was plenty of witnesses, and a lot of them was law enforcement that had seen this thing land. And then we had a, a couple, Maria Blair and her husband, and they was across the river, and they seen it land and seen them take us on board. Now, he just just passed away not long ago. And he did a confession on his deathbed uh, about that apologizing to his wife for never letting her tell nobody. But, you know, all the witnesses are real credible witnesses that were there that night. We got several more right from around here that seen the craft when it landed. We had a probation officer. We had a preacher. We had uh, some people from the Pascagoula Police Department that witnessed it. So, and they all in the second book, the story continues and it's pretty interesting to read. It's too much of it to go into right now, but it's some good reading in there. No, I prefer the second book better than I do the first. No. And the, the both books and the documentary all available on Amazon. I would recommend anyone gets in there to, to investigate themselves. And like you've said, make up their own mind. Calvin, I'm going to ask, before I get to some listener questions, if you could go back to that evening and stop the event from happening, would you? I would, because my life would be totally different right now. So, yeah, I would. I wouldn't do it again. 
So there is a, obviously not a regret because it's not something you could have any control over, but it's something that you're obviously quite traumatic as well. But going forward, right. do you plan to keep up the conventions and getting yourself out there and speaking to people? Is it a, a bit of a therapy for you now? Obviously your wife has got you to write these books and do you feel more comfortable now putting yourself out there? Well, I do. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind making a, maybe a couple of conventions a year because, like I said, two reasons. I'm still hunting. I'm still hunting the trigger on all this or the answers. And the other reason, my wife enjoys them. So me keeping this from her for all these years, if I could take her to a couple of conventions and make her happy, then that's good. You know, we get a room, we go down, we talk to the people. It gives her a better understanding on what's going on. What I would like to ask is, you never had an interest in UFOs or this this topic before this, and it's something you've maybe kind of stayed away from till recently. How up to date are you with things like To The Stars Academy uh, or the New York Times article where they released the three videos? Have you seen those three videos of the unidentified craft that the government shown? No, sir, I hadn't. And have you still not saw those? Uh-uh. No, I don't watch that. I mean, we got the History Channel here that puts all this stuff up, ancient alien and all. And unless I really know somebody that I'm in at a convention and I want to see them and I know they own, then I watch that. But uh, I don't really get into it. I don't really watch it. Well, I'm not much on TV, on the news or politics or anything else. I feel like the world would be better off without politicians and the news media. Get rid of them two things and a lot of our problems would disappear. So what I want to do, uh, Calvin, is just get into some listener questions. We had quite a few sent over, but I've answer- you've answered a few of them anyway throughout the body of the story, of course. Um, Stephen, first up, wanted to know, what are your thoughts on the recent Nimitz encounters and related videos? But of course, you've, you've answered that um, already. So thanks for sending that in, Stephen. That's, you hadn't seen those. Um, he'd also asked if you'd checked for implants. A few other questions we had. Were you given any information at the time of the event that you didn't quite realize at the time and came back later? So that's probably looking more at the regression than the hypnosis sessions. Uh, to be... To be honest, I really don't know of any useful information I was given. Uh, on the hypnosis session, you know, it's just to bring out the finer details and what did happen. And was there anything so at all within, within those details that surprised you? or? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was. You know, we got, uh, like, color of clothing uh, down to... Uh, I thought it was like a redneck woman, but it could have been somebody in disguise. And, you know, and I still call her a woman, but it might not have been. So I don't know. It's just stuff we had talked about. But That's interesting. One of the more recent theories has been that the phenomena or any entities, which whatever they may be, can actually make you see an image or project project an image that you'd be comfortable seeing. So that's interesting that you say you saw a, a redneck woman, but that's something yeah. you're more comfortable with necessarily than, you know, a, a right. 10 foot tall gray alien or, you know, whatever it could have been. So that that's the similar parallels to what other people have reported. Um, he also asked, this is slightly different, but he's, uh, Spike has heard you told a story on interviews where you found a guy sleeping on your porch once and instead of shooting him, you invited him in for coffee? Yes, sir, that's true. Yeah, and you know, that's quite regular that I find somebody waiting outside to talk to me or see me. And, um, you know, this guy I found on my porch, I did. I woke him up, invited him in. We had coffee, we fixed breakfast, and we talked. And the same way, I try to be that way with most anybody that comes here, but you know, times is getting kind of scary now to have your family around and all. But I've had people waiting out in my parking lot just to talk to me. Be out there in the hot sun, and you walk outside, and there they are waiting. I said, well, why didn't you come in, knock on the door, and come on in in the air conditioner? Brought them in and talked. So, yeah, I don't meet too many strangers. 
Uh, I've always got people sending things they want me to autograph, and I'll do that and send it back, sometime with my own postage. And then uh, one time I caught somebody selling selling them on eBay, so I just got the name and stopped autographing things for them. I love people, but I'm not going to be taken advantage of. No, absolutely not. Listen, Calvin, uh, we're going to just wrap up there. So I'd like to thank you very much for your time. It's been amazing speaking with you and hearing your story uh, one-to-one as well. It's been quite incredible. Um, So do you just want to tell the listeners once again um, the books that they can get and where they can get those? All right. We got Past Pagula, The Closest Encounter, My Story, Calvin Parker. Then we have The Story Continues, New Evidence and New Witnesses. And they're both at Amazon, the uh, little documentary things at Amazon. And you can get them through them. Excellent. Calvin, it's a fascinating story. And I, for one, I'm glad that you're out there doing the the UFO circuit, if you want to call it that. And obviously it's on hold a little bit just now with COVID-19. But hopefully when things are back up and running, we get to see you one day, maybe even meet in person as well. That'd be great. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. No, it's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you. That's all for this week, folks. Remember, next week we have Dragon from Skinwalker Ranch. That'll be episode 13. Another few guests are lined up and almost locked in, and some of them may have been on your screens the past few Saturdays on the History Channel as well, and I'll say no more than that for the minute. And I do have some other uh, guests that I'm talking to, just can't confirm them quite yet. Remember, like, subscribe, and please leave a review for the show, particularly if you're on iTunes. It really does help the show get out there more and more. Follow the show at UFO UAPAM on Twitter. Follow on Facebook, that UFO podcast. The Instagram page is up and running as well. And for those who do like to listen on YouTube, it's a little bit behind, but it does take a long time for me to get the shows onto the YouTube channel. So bear with me, I am loading the back catalogue up there um, over the next week or so. Again, folks, all your listens and feedback has been greatly appreciated. You're keeping the show going. I'm loving doing it and just keep getting in touch with us. As always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.